Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, March 8th. In today's news, the House passes a watered-down resolution condemning all forms of hate. Congress scrutinizes why the Chinese approved trademark deals for Ivanka Trump. And Joe Biden's past comes back to haunt him. But first, the big idea. Paul Manafort, President Trump's former campaign chairman in 2016, was sentenced to less than four years in prison last night for cheating on his taxes and committing massive bank fraud. It's a far more lenient sentence than the roughly 20 years he had faced under federal sentencing guidelines and than special counsel Bob Mueller had sought. The guidelines said he should serve between 19 and a half and 24 years in the clink after a jury found him guilty of eight charges and deadlocked on 10 others. Legal experts generally expected Judge T.S. Ellis to sentence somewhere below that range, but many were shocked by just how little time the Ronald Reagan appointee gave the former Reagan campaign staffer. Sensitive to the criticism he knows he'll face, Ellis told a packed courtroom in Alexandria, Virginia, that anyone who doesn't think the punishment is tough enough should, quote, go and spend a day or a week in jail. He has to spend 47 months. Prosecutors have painted Manafort as an incorrigible cheat who must be made to understand the seriousness of his wrongdoing. Manafort contends that he's mere collateral damage in Mueller's investigation of Russian involvement in the 2016 election. Speaking to the court, Manafort did not apologize for his years of illegal activity and for cheating the IRS out of more than $7 million. He instead spoke about how hard the past two years have been for him, saying, quote, To say that I feel humiliated and ashamed would be a gross understatement. The judge later complained to Manafort that he was surprised he didn't hear him express any regret for engaging in wrongful conduct, but he added that didn't affect his sentence. Manafort has already spent nine months in jail, meaning the sentence imposed Thursday could end in less than three years, with an additional reduction for good behavior. But he still faces sentencing for related conspiracy charges in a case in D.C. federal court. He could receive as much as 10 more years of prison time next week related to that case, although it probably won't be the full 10. The key to watch is whether the judge in D.C. lets his sentence run simultaneously or staggers it. She has the discretion to decide. Manafort's attorneys clashed during last night's hearing with Mueller's prosecutors before the judge handed down the sentence. The defendant's team noted that he spent 50 hours in proffer sessions with the special counsel as part of his plea agreement for the D.C. case. But prosecutor Greg Andres, who works for Mueller, said Manafort's supposed cooperation was totally worthless to them because he either told prosecutors things they already knew or told falsehoods. Wearing a green jail uniform and sitting in a wheelchair, the 69-year-old Manafort did not visibly react when the sentence was read by the judge. But Andres and the rest of Mueller's team looked downright glum. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, the House overwhelmingly passed a broad, watered-down anti-hate resolution yesterday that was originally intended as a response to allegedly anti-Semitic comments from Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, but the House wound up not mentioning her at all. The 407 to 23 vote capped days of frustration and anger over the comments by the Muslim Democratic freshmen from Minnesota that have overshadowed Democratic legislative priorities and their investigations. The final version of the resolution that passed included a wide array of identity groups who are subject to hate, not just Jews. 
The resolution was revised shortly before the vote to add Latinos, Asian Americans, and LGBT people to a list of several groups subject to hate. The resolution condemned anti-Semitism and discrimination against Muslims in equal measure, a shift from the draft circulated Monday that rebuked only anti-Semitism. Republicans heavily mocked the Democrats over their struggle with how to respond to Omar, but the final vote ended up unifying Democrats and splitting Republicans. Congressman Lee Zeldin from New York and Liz Cheney from Wyoming, the GOP conference chairwoman, said the resolution should have dealt only with anti-Semitism, so they voted no. Peter King, a congressman from New York, and others objected to language dealing with law enforcement racial profiling. And Mo Brooks from Alabama said he was shocked that the measure, quote, refused to similarly condemn discrimination against Caucasian Americans. Behind the scenes, Democratic aides worked around the clock to draft a proposal that everyone in their caucus would vote for. That's why it kept getting watered down. As recently as Wednesday night, Democratic aides played down the potential for quick action after a rancorous closed-door meeting earlier in the day that exposed the raw divide between members. But members and staff worked through the night to draft the broader repudiation of hatred, motivated in no small part by their belief that the internal crisis would only worsen if left unaddressed. Omar remained silent Thursday as she attended the morning meeting and evening votes in the House. After the vote, she issued a statement with fellow Muslim representatives Andre Carson from Indiana and Rashida Tlaib from Michigan. They called the vote historic on many fronts for denouncing all forms of bigotry. Many called the statement tone-deaf. Number two, senior House Democratic investigators are moving to open an oversight probe into whether Ivanka Trump has benefited personally from her position as a White House senior advisor including through Chinese regulators' approval of trademarks for her apparel company. But investigating Ivanka is so politically sensitive that Democrats are proceeding with caution. It's unclear even which House committee would take the lead. Unlike a lot of other issues, aides for several panels with potential jurisdictions suggested that other committees may be better suited to probing the president's eldest daughter. They're afraid of the political backlash. The president has said privately he doesn't want his children testifying on the Hill or providing any documents to their investigation. Senior officials, including former Chief of Staff John Kelly, have warned the president for the past two-plus years that having his children in the government would open them up to formal oversight and scrutiny that they wouldn't face otherwise. Last May, China approved more than half a dozen Ivanka trademarks around the time that President Trump shielded a major Chinese state-owned equipment company from U.S. sanctions. The year before, Ivanka's clothing line saw the same trademark boon the same day that she dined with Chinese President Xi Jinping at Mar-a-Lago in Florida. The attorney for Ivanka Trump didn't respond to a request for comment. Top Democrats said yesterday that the first daughter and her husband Jared Kushner will not get special treatment. Number three. As former Vice President Joe Biden moves toward an all-but-certain campaign announcement in early April, his long paper trail of comments on race and gender will enter heavier circulation. These comments put him deeply at odds with today's Democratic Party and could imperil his third try for the presidency. My colleague Matt Viser has a new story in today's paper about Biden's role while a freshman senator from Delaware in the 1970s as a leading national opponent of school busing. Biden spoke out repeatedly and forcefully against sending white children to majority black schools and black children to majority white schools. 
Not only did Biden play down the persistence of overt racism, he also suggested that the government should play only a limited role in integration. Back in 1975, Biden told a newspaper in Delaware that he disagreed with the idea that, quote, we must now give the black man a head start because of hundreds of years of mistreatment. He said, I don't feel responsible for the sins of my father and grandfather, and I'll be damned if I feel responsible to pay for what happened 300 years ago. Biden also dismissed government efforts to impose diversity in schools. He said, quote, we've lost our bearings since the 1954 Brown versus Board desegregation case. If anything, he said it was busing that was racist. Biden told that paper in Delaware that it was reverse racism for liberals to say that a child with black hair, brown eyes and dark skin would benefit from sitting next to, quote, my blonde haired, blue eyed son. He added, who the hell do we think we are? that the only way a black man or woman can learn is if they rub shoulders with my white child. Now, the 76-year-old Biden declined to be interviewed for our article, but his spokesman, Bill Russo, says the former vice president still believes he was right to oppose busing and that he does not apologize. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, March 8th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you on Monday.